Alrighty, I encourage you to grab a Bible and go to James chapter 4. If you don't got a Bible, there's probably a black one in a little rack right in front of you uh, in a seat there. The passage scripture is also in your bulletin as well as on your screen. So a couple things I want to make you aware of before we dive into our text. First one, uh, continue to pray for us. We still have three part-time positions that are open. Uh, so we are looking for a new office admin. Uh, Jackie took a job to work alongside her husband, uh, which we were very, very sad to see Jackie go because she was a fantastic fit, uh, but really felt like this was a great opportunity for her to kind of work alongside her husband. Uh, we need a new facilities director. Our facilities guy uh, just took a full-time job um, back last week, and so um, that's one of the reasons why you rolled in here. And there's grass a little high, amen? So we're not trying to bell hay. Uh, we're just still trying to look for a facilities guy. And then we are still in uh, prayer for who's going to replace Zach, our student director. And so there's a lot of positions that are open here, and we're excited about them. Uh, but, man, just be praying as the Lord kind of brings the right people to fill those roles. Secondly, if you haven't noticed this, and I realize that maybe there's only a small percentage of you that really care and so but I'm going to speak to that small percentage we have changed translations we've gone from kind of NIV 84 to what we now using the Christian standard bible which is what you have uh, in your little chair bible we used to call them pew bibles but this is not a pew it's a chair amen and so here's one of the reasons why we've changed is number one uh, they are no longer printing NIV 84 that's no longer in existence you can't you can't get them anywhere. And so we knew we would be transitioning in here. We were running out of pew Bibles. And so we had to make a decision. And so we've made a decision to go with the Christian Standard Bible translation. And I just want to say this. Anytime we choose a translation, it doesn't mean it's the only translation you can listen. I, I hope you hear from me from time to time that you can trust all your translations. There are some that are not real good. But the majority of them are, are really good. And so uh, we chose the Christian Standard Bible for three primary reasons. Number one, it has appropriate gender inclusivity. And I use appropriate because some have taken a lot more freedom in gender inclusivity that sort of changes the meaning of a text. For example, there's a lot of um, forward-looking in the Old Testament to the Messiah, to Jesus. We believe the Bible is one story that finds its culmination and who Jesus is and what he is. And there are hints all throughout the Old Testament that is pointing forward to Jesus. And those hints use the pronoun he. And so some translation have taken some freedom to drop that and bring more gender inclusivity. Yeah, we feel like that kind of changes the meaning of a text. And so uh, the CSB has kept those in place at, and in where it's appropriate have brought in gender inclusivity, which, I'm, which we should. So when it's, you know, when letters to the New Testament church and you read brothers, well, there's, you know, a good translation today would be brothers and sisters because that was still in the heart of any New Testament writer. They were writing to the whole church, not just to the men of the church. So that's one reason. Second reason is it's easy to read. Uh, so, like, I like the English Standard Version okay, um, but it is a difficult translation to read, especially if English is your second language. And so we want to make sure we find a translation that is readable, that I want you to read your Bibles, amen, not just roll in here, and so I want to make sure you have a translation that you can read and that you can understand, and sometimes the ESV does some sentence structures that I'm going, come on, that's ridiculous, okay, but that's just my issues, you probably don't have issues with that. The third one is that it kind of maintains theological terms, for example, it keeps words like justification, 
And so, yeah, I know that we don't use justification all the time. Like, I don't even think I used that word one time other than right now, right? That's like, did not land in my vocabulary all this week. But I do think there are biblical terms that we need to keep in the Bible because we need to learn that language. And so I'm appreciative that the Christian Standard Bible chose to kind of keep those terms in there instead of taking the freedom and explaining them by the way you translate them, all right? So that's the three. There's many more, but those are the three. And for the small percentage that care about it, there you go. Uh, if you want a CSB translation, we have some in our little atrium in the little book area. I think they're $10. But when I said that in the 9 o'clock, everybody's eyes really opened up. And I'm thinking that maybe that's too low. They may be more than $10. But whatever's out there as far as sticker price is the authority. Amen? Yeah, not... Not, not me. Thanks for the four that laughed at that. That was awesome. So, all right. So let's stand together in honor of reading God's Word. So James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. I want to give you another heads up. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm the info guy. So during the nine, every once in a while, the lights would go off. I, I'm not joking. I have no idea. This light ring would just cut off, and then it would come back on. And then a few minutes later, it would cut off, and then it would come back on. And so I'm just going for it. I made mention of it in the 9, not going to make mention of 11. We're just going to act like it's normal, like it's supposed to be like that. It's for emphasis. Amen? So trying to bring some whatever in here. I don't know. So just be aware of that. I don't know what's going on. We'll find out this week. We'll bring the electrician out here who knows what they're doing, and we'll figure out what's happening. So some kind of shorts happening in our electrical stuff. So here we go, verses 13 through 17. Going to be good stuff. Looking forward. Here we go. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. And so God, once again, we pray in the spirit of James here. That as a body, we want to confess together that we don't just want to hear the Word of God, even though that is of an utmost value, that anytime we read the Bible, we're hearing your voice. But not only do we want to hear it, God, please, God, by your grace and by your Spirit, empower us to be doers. And give us like one thing, Lord, one thing, this, just today, from what we hear this morning that we can step into by your spirit's power. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So over the last couple of weeks, one of the little books, and I don't do this, you know, I don't read a whole lot of books in this short amount of time. Usually it takes me a whole lot longer. I've been reading uh, The Fellowship of the Ring at nighttime, and I've been doing that since the beginning of the year, and I'm like halfway through. It's ridiculous. I keep falling asleep. I literally read one page over and over for like a week. It's like, oh, man, 
I need to figure out a better time to read. But I did read, night at night, a little book over the last couple weeks called uh, Wrestling with God. And in this book, the author talks about a story of a friend of his that when he was a young boy, uh, back in the 50s, they lived in a very rural area, uh, he came down with pneumonia. And so they don't, because of where they lived in this rural area, they didn't have, like, access to a doctor, they didn't have access to you know, a hospital, they didn't have like, you know, a quick care just down the road like we were so conveniently have. Uh, at this time when he, con- you know, had pneumonia, his dad was out of town for a week. And so this, his mom had no phone, she had no car, and he was extremely high fever and she was freaking out. Had nothing to do, absolutely helpless. No way of figuring out how to handle this and get someone to help her. And so she did uh, what instinctively came to her to do She knelt down by the bed, and she, in essence, prayed this prayer and said, God, I am not leaving this place until my son's fever breaks. And she prayed that over and over. She eventually fell asleep. The little boy fell asleep. And they both woke up the next morning, and the little boy's fever broke somewhere in the middle of the night. Now, the reason why his friend shares this story uh, is not just to point out the miracle that took place, which it did. That was an absolute miracle of God for him to intervene and see to it that that little child's fever broke. But the reason why Terrell tells a story is that he says that there has been a, a, a kind of a shift in our culture, a shift to where uh, the natural instinct when we feel as helpless as his mom did is not to go and cry out, to God, to go and cry out for someone that is outside of us to come and alleviate and deal with our situation. That there's been a shift within our culture to where we don't feel this helplessness that this mom felt. So the guy's not saying it's wrong, right, to go see a doctor or go take your kid, you know, to a hospital, whatever, if they have a fever. He's just making an observation that within our culture, there was this, this felt helplessness that the mom experienced and her natural instinct was to cry out to God. And that, for the most part, is gone. So, I mean... One small example of this in my own life would be this week, you know, our 10-year-old is Davin, he's, on a, he's swimming on a swim team, and um, yeah, doing a really pretty good little job. A few years ago, when he was four or five years old, he was on a swim team, and, and we had heard that uh, you can get on a swim team, and they'll teach you the strokes, like, you know, as long as they can swim, they learn the strokes. Well, we found out the hard way that that wasn't the case. It was pretty much, you needed to know the strokes, and there was a lot of tension in my life during that time at meets because my little boy about drowned almost every meet for crying out loud. It's like, I'm getting ready to jump in and save my own kid. And he would say this. He said, you know, in, in this meet, sometimes when he was swimming, he would think, my mom must not love me to make me be a part of the swim team. So, all right, fast forward a few years. We kind of gave a little, little break. He's on a swim team now. He got swimmer's ear, right, which is basically a little bit of an ear infection that you get in your ear. And so what did I do, Right. What was my natural instinct? Yeah, there was some prayer. There was. We prayed that God would heal him. But there wasn't this sense of helplessness that I felt. Why? Because we got in our car and we went down to Walmart Clinic. Amen? Right? 
Because our stupid jacked up insurance costs more for me to go to a doctor than it goes to a Walmart clinic. Amen? So I don't know if that's political or whatever. But, but that's where we went. Yeah? A whole lot cheaper to go there. Like I didn't feel this sense of helplessness. I prayed. But not with some kind of fervency that this mom prayed. So what has happened? Why? What is the shift? What's going on in our culture? A guy named Charles Taylor... Uh, who is a Canadian philosopher, uh, wrote a big, huge book called A Secular Age. Uh, I have not read this book. I've read people that have read this book that explain the book to me. Amen? That's how it works. For me, it's a massive work, and I'm just kind of embracing my ignorance. And I'm not going to read this book. But I will read people that have read this and digested it for me. Amen? Don't you love those people? So I thank God for them. But if you want to read it, fantastic. Just come have a conversation with me and tell me what you've learned from it. But here's what he says. This is... The reason why we've kind of had this shift here is because there's been a massive change in our identity. There's been a massive change in how we see ourselves. We have gone from what he calls a porous personality or a porous self to a bufferted self. And I know you're sitting there thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Dude, speak some English. Amen? Right? And so I found somebody that explains what he's talking about. And here's what he means. Here's what a porous personality means. It's when our everyday consciousness stands in anxiety and fear before threats of all kinds. For example, death, illness, epidemic, storms, droughts, earthquakes, for which our main and often only defense is power from another world, God, angels, spirits. Our personalities are porous when they are made fragile by threats that only powers beyond us can ultimately appease. Coping with life means dealing with not just physical things of our world, but also spirits, good and bad, who, hidden and behind things, interfere with life and can bless or curse us. And Charles Taylor's making an argument that over the last hundred years or so, we have shifted from that kind of identity to this identity that he calls a buffered I can't even say it, buffered personality, whatever. Here it is. All right, bear with me. When our everyday consciousness lives inside a self-sufficient humanism, that's what this means. A buffered personality is when our everyday consciousness lives inside a self-sufficient humanism. Self-sufficient humanism believes that we are essentially adequate to handle the darkness and the threats within life that, that, that there are no ghosts and spirits, good or bad, lurking beneath the surface of things. There is only what we see, and that's all. And that's also enough. We don't need help from another world. So what I want to say is I think James is actually speaking to that very definition And what I want to also present to you, and this may seem a little harsh, but I'm including myself here. This is present in every single one of us in this room. It's been present since the beginning of time. It's been present since the fall. And it's the propensity and the bent of all of our hearts, this self-sufficiency, that I can do it, that I got it. There is a lack of awareness. There's a lack of real-time awareness of our own helplessness 
and our own lack of control of anything. Instead, what is it? The bent of our hearts as well as the air that we culturally breathe is this idea of self-sufficiency. I can do it. I can handle it. I'm not helpless. And James, as wonderful as it is, because he wrote this 2,000 plus years ago, is speaking into this very issue that is prominent within our culture. And in essence, I would say that James is saying, like, if this is your view of life, it's very naive, it's very foolish, and it's an illusion. So look what he says here. What's the big problem that James is laying before us? And I know, that's what I love about James, and Ty talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like, you don't need some kind of, like, special code to figure out what James is talking about. He's really clear. Like, here's the problem. Look what he says here in verse 13. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such city and spend a year there and do business and we'll make profit. So here's the deal. Planning is a part of our life, right? And planning is not sinful or wrong. It's actually really wise. I mean, all throughout the Proverbs, there's affirming, you need to plan, you need to plan. There's nothing wrong with planning. Some of us in this room tonight will sit down and plan their day tomorrow. Amen? If you're a really super planner, you'll sit down tonight and you'll plan out your entire week. Like you'll literally have every hour mapped out. We love you. Glad you're here. Man, blessings upon you. If you, you know, if you haven't had a vacation yet, guess what you'll do? You'll do what? You will plan your vacation. Unless you're single and you're just married or whatever, you just fly by the seat of your britches and say, hey, we're just going to get in the car, honey, and we're just going to go. But when you get kids, you got to plan. Amen? Right? That's not wrong. If you, if you have a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, you do dates every once in a while. What do you do? You plan your date. If you care for your spouse, your boyfriend and girlfriend, a gift to them is not to get in the car and say, hey, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, I don't know. What do you want? Like, you spend like 20 minutes talking about what you want to do for crying out loud. Plan the date, right? Plan it. There's nothing wrong. Every year, some of you in this room will, will do a budget for your household, right? And so what are you doing there? You're planning how you're going to spend your money. What's the big deal, James? Why is it wrong for these people here to say this, which you just said here in verse 13? Because all of us in this room have said it. In essence, we've said exactly what James is laying before us in verse 13. And maybe this morning you've already said it. You know, in greeting time, somebody comes up and says, hey, what are you doing this week? Well, I'm going to go here, there, go to Chicago and meet with some clients, or I'm going to go over here and have dinner and lunch, whatever. Like, like, we have, in essence, said what James says not to say, basically. And I'm going, what's the big deal? Why is that a big deal, James? And he even ups the ante in verse 16 when he says this. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. Why? James, why is this boasting? Why is it arrogant for me to say, I'm going to Chicago, I'm going to meet some clients, we're going to discuss business, and we're going to make a profit, and on Tuesday, I'm rolling back home. What is arrogant and evil about saying that? Well, look what he says here. In verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while 
and then vanishes. Look, the problem is not planning. The problem is the posture of their hearts. So somehow, some way, the people that he's addressing and talking to in the midst of their planning are completely leaving out God. It's almost like they're putting this blindfold on to the reality of God's presence and power in the midst of their planning. So in the midst of their planning, they are in essence becoming functional deists who give a mental assent to the existence of God, but the reality of God being active in their daily lives is not, not happening. That's the problem. The problem is not with planning. The problem is with the posture of their heart. But why is that arrogant, Lyle? Why is that, in essence, what I would say, James is saying, almost the height of all arrogance for you to plan in such a way that you leave out the reality of God? of his power and his presence. Why? You don't know. Verse 14, you don't know what tomorrow brings. I mean, it's crazy, guys. In, in the midst of, like, all of the intellectual prominence that is present in all of humanity, right, it is. The intellect that is here is such a beautiful gift of God. But it's so crazy that we leave out this one piece, this profound ignorance that we largely ignore, and that is this. You don't know. You can make all your plans, but you can wake up tomorrow morning and both of your eyes be swelled short, shut. Like, that could happen. A couple weeks ago, woke up, and my left eye was like huge. I'm like, what in the world happened to me? It's like Kathy hit me in the face in the middle of the night or something. Like literally, my, my eye was swollen. It's like a big old sty that got infected. But I, like, this is going to mess the day up. This is going to be awkward, right? Hey, sorry about the swelled shut eye. Yeah, I'm not going home drunk or anything like that. And my wife didn't beat me, right? You know what I'm saying? We have no idea. We can make plans. And, then, you know, I, this is probably... Some of the things you guys do when you have kids, it's like you make these plans to do a vacation or go do a night out or whatever it is, and one of your prayers is always, God, please, may they not get sick, right? It is like, please, may they not get the stomach virus or this, because we've got these plans. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. Our default view is that once we plan it, it's going to happen. And James is going, that's arrogant. You don't know you don't know. Secondly, your, your, your life is so frail. I mean, look what he says here in the second half of verse 14. What will your life be? For you're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. So here's the, the title that sums up your life based on what James is saying. You're a mist, Right? So, so think about it. If you took a shower this morning or if you took it last night, all that steam, unless you've got an exhaust and it gets out, but if, if you don't have an exhaust thing, you know, fan, whatever it is, if you got all that steam, that what, what does it do? It fogs up the mirror. As soon as you turn off the water and open up the door, what happens to the fog? Say it out loud. It goes away. It is gone. Look, look, look. 
That's your life. It's a mist. It's a vapor. I mean, I know sometimes these illustrations kind of backfire on me, but I'm going to go for it because it worked okay in the nine. How many of you in this room know your great-great-grandpa's first name? Great-great-grandpa's first name. Raise your hand. Be proud. All right, keep it up for just a second. I mean, like, not this. I know this is what we do for benediction because everybody's like, I don't know what to do right now. All right, this is my half little. Up there high. All right, now look around you. There's a room of about 200 people, and there's probably maybe 10, 15 people that know their great, great grandpa's first name. So, put your hand now. Thank you so much. Here's the deal. You are going to be forgotten, and here's the kicker, by your own family. Are you with me? Your great-great-grandchildren will not remember your name. My great-great-grandkids will not remember Lyle. Your life is a vapor, and all James is saying is like, yeah, you're making all these plans, but you're, you're missing an enormous part of reality. And it's arrogant when you leave out God his power, and his presence in our daily lives because you don't know. You have no control. None. And your life is fragile. It's brief. It's like a vapor, a mist. Something that is a daily reality, right? This daily reality is you don't have any control. You don't know. Your life is a vapor. It's small. It's fragile. It's here today, gone tomorrow. A daily, it's a daily reality that we, or I'll just, I, I'll personalize it more, I acknowledge and feel periodically. You follow me? This is a daily reality. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You have no control. Your life is a vapor. It's a mist. It's fragile. That's, that's a daily reality that we only acknowledge and feel periodically. So a couple weeks ago, we, uh, we did a little trip to Pennsylvania, uh, a little week-long vacation. There's a little uh, amusement park there called Knobles. I don't know if anybody knows where it is. It's in Ellisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, it's about 10 hours from here. And so uh, there's a little, uh, there's a family that rents this little cabin out that we know real well every year. It's right in the park. And I know you're thinking, how can this be relaxing? You're probably thinking Kings Island. And it, it's not like that at all. This place is like, you feel like you're a blast and, and pass. You know, it's very nostalgic. And uh, it's the only park in the United States where you can come in for free, right? You just have to pay for rides. So you can walk around there, play the games. And even the Food Channel came and did a, a little deal on the, how good the food is there. So it's just really a great little place. And so here's the deal. So we're, we're traveling there, all right? And so uh, I, we've got three vehicles, all right? So I've got a Ford Explorer. It's got 187,000 miles on it. My oldest son has a Honda Civic that's got 160,000 miles on it. And then we've got a nice, wonderful Mercury Milan that I can probably run faster than what it runs. And it's got about 175,000 miles on it. And so look, here, I didn't want to rent a van. van rent a van costs like $500, that's ridiculous. I'm not doing that, right? Like, we got to find some way to do this. And so I knew we couldn't all get in the Explorer because if we put it in the back seat, that little third row seat, you have no luggage. It's like this big. Like, I don't know how a family could do it. It's like, there's nothing. We have a roof rack. We don't have a little thing. So we had to bring two cars. And so all I can do is, like, go to the mechanic. 
It's okay. We're taking these 10 hours away. Take a look, right? It's like, let me know if you see something big. If you don't see anything big and you have, based on your best assumptions and intuition that we can make it, then we're going to go for it. And so by God's grace, we did it and we got back okay, right? We had to put a little bit of money to fix a few things in the car to make it a reality. But here's what I'm trying to say. It was crazy how stressful I was about this trip and making sure my car would make it. I'm like praying a little bit more, right? It's like, God, please may we just get there. And like, kids, can we just take a moment, maybe 10 minutes? Let's just kind of have a little prayer time, you know? But every day I get in that car and I don't do the same thing. Yet studies tell us that the majority of fatal accidents happen within a 30-mile radius of where you live, right? But I don't feel that helplessness, do I? So I just jump in my car, boom, and just take off. I take a 10-hour trip. It's way different. We did some roller coasters while we were there at this amusement park. And back when I was young, 20s, I thought roller coasters were amazing, right? Now that you're 48, you get off those things and you're going, oh. <laughs> oh, that was brutal, Right? You're hurting. Oh, like I didn't know it would jar like that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Your neck's hurting you. And your kids are going, oh, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh. Right. It's just, and then it's like so kind of absurd. I don't know. Maybe it's just when you're young, you're just dumb and stupid and naive. And I'm riding on there. I'm going, man, what am I doing? I'm trusting someone with my life that I don't even know. Like, how do I know they inspected these beams well? And how do I know, going around that curve, that this bad boy's not going to fly off? Like, I can hold on as much as I want, but if it flies off, I'm done, right? And then I got my 10-year-old who has no fear at all, just like hands up the entire time. I'm like yelling at him. I had to put the fear of dad in him for crying out loud. It's like, kid, you're going to die. You're not going to die on a roller coaster. Kick those hands down, right? And then you feel like, like weird praying. It's like, you know, God, I know I put myself in this, but can you, you know, help me out? You know, it's like, nope, you suffer the consequences, right? Look, but the, the truth is this, man, that the frailty of life, the lack of control is a daily reality that we only acknowledge and feel sporadically. One writer says it like this, to think of ourselves as self-sufficient is naive, an illusion, a choice to live under a pall of enchantment. We are not in control. And over and over in the Bible, you see this truth. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 19, 21, many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Jeremiah says this in chapter 10, verse 23, I know, Lord, that a person's way of life is not his own. No one who walks, determines his own steps. 
And I know sometimes we get ourselves, you know, get our underwear in a wad, and we're going, okay, is God in control? Is there free choices? And we got to have, you know, either or. And I just want to say, like, the Bible says they're both true. The Bible presents that God is in control of everything, everything. And at the same time, yes, your choices matter. You have free there's some limits to that, but we can go on that a little bit later. But there's choices that you make that are real, that matter. You're not a robot, but somehow, mysteriously, God, who is in control of all things, even uses your free choices to accomplish his plan. So what James is reminding us here is that this is a reality. You're not in control. Your life is fragile, it is brief, and it's arrogant for you to make plans without acknowledging that truth. And so there's a better way, there's a better way to live. That's what I love about James. He doesn't just kind of leave us with the negative. He says, okay, but instead, here's here's a way to live. And one writer kind of talks about us getting in touch with this kind of our inner porous self, right? So, and what he means by that. Is, is basically there's got to be a way where we are realizing our helplessness, that we're feeling how fragile life is and how much control we do not have, not to cultivate fear, right? Because perfect love casts out fear. And where do we see the beautiful display of perfect love? It's when God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty of our sins. The beautiful display of perfect love is in Jesus Christ. And when we receive that, that casts out all fear. So we're not trying to get into our inner poorest self, so to speak. I don't know if I use that language, but follow me. All right, where we're trying to get into this, in touch with our deep down fragility, the helplessness, the lack of control, not to make us afraid, but to cultivate a humble heart, to cultivate a deeper trust in God to cultivate in us an, an overflow of gratitude for what God is doing and how he's working in your life and how good he is to you. I mean, look, look what James says here. Look at the solution that he lays before us. Look what he says in verse 15. Instead, what should you do? You should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So notice, guys, the difference between what is said in verse 13 and what is said in verse 15 is not this. It doesn't say in verse 13, hey, today and tomorrow we'll go and do this, and it doesn't say that in verse 15. No, it does say that in verse 15. Both of them basically say the same thing in essence, that, hey, today and tomorrow we're going to go and do this. What's the difference? The difference is the little phrase, isn't it? Say it out loud. The difference is... If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And with that little phrase, we are acknowledging the reality that I can't do it. It's not all up to me. I'm acknowledging the reality that I don't have control, that I am helpless, that I can do all kinds of planning, but I can't make the end product happen. That is up to God. Just adding, if the Lord wills, cultivates a humble, receptive heart that is full of gratitude when God comes through, right? Now, some of you may be saying, well, is is that it, you know? 
You just add that little phrase, like a little pixie dust, you know, and just pop that phrase on my plans and everything's great, right? Is that all? That's all we got to do? Well, yes and, and no. There you go. How do you like that? Yes. Yes and this. All right? Here's what I want to say there. Out of the, what does Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the what? The heart? The mouth speaks? And so by examining our own language and what we say can actually be a window into our heart and what we believe. And so in, in one sense, yeah, it is kind of like about language. I always say it around here like this, that terminology eventually becomes theology. What we say eventually shapes what you believe. And so there is a place for us to say, yeah, articulate and confess with our mouth, all right, I'm going to plan, right? Because planning's not the problem. The problem is the posture of my heart, and the posture of my heart's going to be at the Lord wills. And there are times when that needs to come out of my mouth. But I would also say, that that's not fully what James is after. He's not just after the changing of our language. Because that's all we added. I mean, I mean, it can feel a little weird, right? You know, possibly. If you're a doctor, can you imagine being in your practice and you got a lady or a guy coming in, you're getting ready to do heart surgery. I'm, hey, nothing to worry about, John. I've done these a hundred times. Nothing whatsoever. Everything will go fine. You won't feel a thing if the Lord wills, right? I don't know something about that. Just kind of lose, right? Can you imagine if you're like a, a sky jumper, you know, kind of instructor, and you're in the plane? <laughs> and just thinking about this, it makes me laugh. And you're, you know, you're up there going, all right, count to 20, pull the cord, right? Pull the cord, and the shoot will come out if the Lord wills. <laughs> that's, like, that's just so weird, right? It is. So I don't, like, the desire for James is not just language. He wants your way of life to carry this kind of posture. Are you following me? He wants your way of life to acknowledge the daily reality of the fragileness of your life, how brief it is, and how much you don't control anything. So how, how? How do you do this? And we'll do this really quickly. I know I'm running out of time. So I'll give you four, okay? All right, if you want to write these down, you can, and then we're landing the plane and we're done. Um, and, and here's the other thing I would encourage you with. The thing with James is that he doesn't really give us anything. He just tells us, don't do this, instead do this. He doesn't say, hey, this is how it looks. And so I think that's part of the work of God's people to take the word of God and reflect and think about it and see, all right, where is in my life that I need to kind of apply this and Bring this to light. I'm just giving you my thoughts of what the Lord brought to my mind to hopefully help us as a body. So the first place we start is what James 4 verse 7 says. You submit to God. So listen to me. If you are not a Christian here, your first step is not to add a phrase, if the Lord wills. Your first step is not to plan and then make sure you're acknowledging the reality of how much you don't have control. No, your first step is to receive this good news that God in Jesus Christ came and lived this life for you. That's good news. There's not one time in the 33 plus years that Jesus was on the earth that he didn't do this perfectly. And he did that for you. So that when you are are in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you don't feel the pressure of getting it right. Because you won't. Right? You will make plans, and you won't even acknowledge God's presence. You will. 
You'll jump in your car and act like you've got it all under control. And you'll go to your destination and you'll get back safely and you will never acknowledge God. But hear me, if you're in Christ, that sin has been fully paid for. Done. So that when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, you can come to the Father say, man, I'm really sorry. Sorry about that. And you're fully forgiven. So it starts with you submitting to God. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's where it begins. You get a new heart. You get a new vision. You begin to see life in a whole different framework. That's where it starts. Then, two, right? That's where we begin, right? And if we had more time, I'd say it's not just where we begin. It's also where we continue. We don't leave the gospel. We keep coming back to it. But number two, here's what I would say. Pray. That's it, Lyle? Pray? And I would say, yeah, that is it. I would say this is where we all start. Pray. I know some of us are going, well, I was hoping to have something a little bit deeper and more rich. Why? And I don't mean to say this in any way to kind of bring some weird guilt, but I'm just going to like, how well are we doing with this, right? We know we should be, but we don't. I would argue that the lack of prayer, or I would just suggest to you, arguing kind of puts everybody in defense. I would suggest to you that the lack of prayer or the absence of prayer in your life is one of the clearest indicators that you're living as James is saying don't live like. You're living life without giving any thought to God's power and presence. The absence of prayer or the lack of prayer. In addition to that, I would also say that one of the means by which God gives us in order to fight this propensity that is present in all of us towards self-sufficiency, like toward this posture of, I got it, right? Is prayer. Because it's, it's the means by which God gives you to articulate, I need help. Here's what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking we should do. God, I need help. So if you're not praying, here's a couple suggestions for you. Like, I'm not trying to be overly spiritual about this, and this is not going to take a ton of time. Book in your days. Start your day off with prayer. Spend 10 minutes, 5 minutes. I don't give a rip how much time it is, right? Start your day off. If you're in the shower, whatever. If you're commuting to work, commune with God. Just say, hey, this is what I got going on. This is what's going on in here. This is what I'm afraid of. This is what I'm concerned about. Give me your help. And then end your day. Before you go to sleep, five minutes. Pray with your spouse. If you're not married, just pray by yourself, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, just say, God, thank you. Man, I just see things, how this worked out, how that worked out. God, thank you. Wow, man, I'm still feeling this way. God, help me. Like, just book in your day. That's it. If you don't pray for it before meals, I would encourage you to do that. And I know that praying for meals can be rote and formulaic. And I get it, man. I, I feel like sometimes I get frustrated with myself and, it's always the same thing, right? It's like, and I've even tried to get different ideas and cards, and I'm just not disciplined enough to do that. But it's basically this. You know, it's like, God, thank you for the food. We love you. 
awesome, amen. And then everybody dives in, right? And so, but what I'm trying to do there, what I am trying to do, this is the want in my own life, is to express the reality that without God, we would not be eating. Because he's the one that's given me the the ability and the health to work and make a living to provide food that we're going to eat. That's what I've tried to do, even though it says the same thing almost every time, right? Prayer. Look, guys, I'm telling you, if you would just do this in the next 30 days, even in the next year, I promise, listen to me, you will live in the way that James is saying here without rarely ever saying in a conversation, if the Lord wills. Why? Because it's the posture of heart. You totally transform the framework by which you live and operate. Secondly, or thirdly, sorry, plan with open hands. And this may be just for me, all right? may not be for you. I'm kind of a routine kind of guy, and sometimes I don't like to really say that because I feel like it portrays an image about myself that I don't really like, but who gives a rip, amen? I am very routine. I got a routine I do in the mornings. I got a routine I do during the week, and I get really kind of ticked off when someone messes with my routine. I mean, I'm just trying to be really confessional right now, right? Especially when my kids were young. Oh, my gosh. I'd get up at the crack of dawn. They'd get up at the crack of dawn. Like, I was so annoyed with them. It's like, man, stop getting up. Sleep. We weren't great parents like some of you all that have, like, a light that comes on. And when that light comes on, you can get out of your room. It's like, no, the light was when they woke up. That's it. And that light could have been three or six, never was anywhere beyond that. It's in between that little time frame. And no matter what time I got up, there they come. Da-da-da. Take care of me, Dad. Right. But I'm trying to live and plan with open hands. And all I'm trying to say with that is this, is that, yeah, interruptions are messing with my plans. But they probably are not messing with God's plans. That maybe it's God's way of showing that, hey, 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 this is what I had planned for the day. I know. It's what your routine is, Lyle, right? I get it. But hey, 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 this is what I got planned. It's a plan with open hands. And then lastly, and we're done here, if you've got a phone, I would encourage you to put on your wallpaper, it's all of grace. Everything. It's all of grace. The good. So this week, some of you are going to have some plans that are going that's going to be awesome. They're going to be great. You're going to follow through with it. You're going to nail it at work, whatever it is. To keep you from pride, this is a gift that God's given to you. Step back, reflect, and say, look, that's all grace. There are going to be plans that are going to fail, and it's not going to go well. You may blow it at work. Things might not go the way you want them to go. And to keep you from despair, it's all of grace. Because you've got a good, loving, heavenly Father that's even using some of the worst things in your life to bring about your ultimate good and your joy. It's all of grace. Jonathan Edwards, great pastor, long, long time ago, said this and comment to this passage of Scripture. He says this, look at your life and every part of your life and say, this is all of grace. 
The fact that I'm alive, the fact that I'm breathing, and my heart is beating, it's all of grace. Let's pray.